Well, good morning, dear church family. Let's go, to, let's go ahead and open up to John 17. John 17, our passage this morning will not be this, this passage in John 17, but there's still some context that I want to build before we jump in to our Hebrews passage this morning. John 17. One of my hopes for our, our church culture here is that the sermon, dialogue about the sermon, questions about the sermon, discussion about the sermon, that that would be something that we as a church do throughout the week. I, I've had a number of positive interactions with members this morning with reference to the sermon, and I, I so enjoy that. It gives me more opportunity to explain and maybe correct some of the things that I've said, and I, I really enjoy that. I think it's a wonderful time to visit with members and discuss the sermon. So if you ever have any questions, please feel free to come up and discuss that either with me or Pastor Jesse or one of the elders. And also, as you go home and as you go throughout the week and as you visit with other members of, of our body, I would encourage you to use the sermon as a topic of conversation to ask, hey, what did you think about the sermon? What did you get out of it? How did it apply to you? To help others grow in the church and our body by using the the sermon as a means of discussion. I think that's very healthy, and I think that's very good for our church culture, to build unity and to develop godly conversations between members. So we're tackling the notion of Jesus as intercessor, Jesus the intercessor this morning. We're on part two of that study. Last week, part one, we investigated how the Old Testament prepares us as we move into the New Testament to understand Jesus as intercessor. We discussed Melchizedek in Genesis 14, the high priest in Leviticus 16, and the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. And what we saw is that in the Old Testament there is this expectation for a coming eternal priest. And one of the functions of this coming eternal priest is to intercede for his people. Now, we know that is Jesus Christ. That is the Savior who we come to as Christians. Now, before we jump into Hebrews, it's important to recognize that there still is quite a bit of development that needs to happen from Isaiah 53, where we left off, to Hebrews 7, the main passage of this morning. Now, I want to be clear here, as I, I tried to be clear last week. By development, I do not mean change. I do not believe that what we have in the New Testament is a distortion of what we have in the Old Testament. Rather, what I mean by development is this. God's truth in Scripture is like a tree. Now, a tree has various stages of its life. It starts as a small seed, and then it turns into a seedling, and then a sapling, and then a young tree, and then a mature tree. There's growth and development. No, it's a tree all along. It's never not a tree. But this tree has different stages of development. And Scripture's similar to that. What we have in Genesis, when we compare that to Revelation, what we have in Genesis is something like a seed. And as we go through Scripture, this seed blossoms and develops. And by the time we get to the book of Revelation, this, this, this tree is a mature tree. Now, in eternity, this truth will continue to develop. We will continue to understand God more and more 
this process of learning, this process of growth, does not stop when we are in eternity. For all of eternity, we will grow in our understanding of who God is. Now, this process, this development of God's message, the theology in Scripture, it is not distorted. It does not become something that it wasn't. It's always a tree. But it does start as a seed, and it moves through stages. So I want to continue tracing this, this development of, of Jesus' intercessor through the passages in between Isaiah and Hebrews. That's what, where I want to start. Specifically, John 17. John 17, if you're, if you're already there, look with me at verse 6. So we want to see how the notion of Jesus' intercessor continues developing. Now, in, in reviewing this passage, what I want you to see is that in Jesus' earthly ministry, while he is with the disciples on earth some 2,000 years ago, Jesus engages in this act of intercession. Jesus engages in intercessory prayer in John 17. So beginning in verse 6, you'll notice your, your Bible might have a, a subscript, a subtitle at the beginning above John 17. The ESV reads the high priestly prayer. So here we have Jesus functioning as priest, interceding for his people. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Now we need to ask the question, who is the people? Who are these people whom Jesus has manifested the Father's name to? Now if you read the context, the context is the disciples. Jesus here is interceding specifically for the disciples. Now look with me in verse 9. John 17, 9. I am praying for them. Who's the them here? The them is the disciples. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So Jesus' intercession here, we'll notice this as we go to Hebrews. Jesus' intercession here is exclusive to his people. Jesus' role as intercessor is exclusive here to the disciples. Now, Jesus expands this to include you and me. Look at verse 20. Jesus says in this prayer to the Father, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So here, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for CBC. He's praying for you and me. The way we know that Jesus here is praying for us is because we have believed through the word of the apostles. If, if you trace our spiritual lineage back far enough, the, the apostles, the disciples, told someone who told someone who told someone who told someone da 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 da, da who told us. So there is this chain of gospel presentation that goes all the way back to the disciples in our lives here at CBC. So Jesus here is talking about us. 
He's talking about you. Jesus is praying here for you in his earthly ministry. And what is his prayer for us? Verse 21. That they may be one. Excuse me. That they all may be one. Excuse me. I still don't think I read it right. That they may all be one. I think that's right. Jesus is praying, church family, for our unity here at CBC. Right here in this passage. Jesus is interceding for us here. Our unity. Jesus wants us to be unified. And he's praying for us back back when he was alive on the earth. Jesus is interceding for us. And the purpose that... The reason why he, Jesus wants us to be one, if you read down in verse 21, that they also may, excuse me, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The way that Jesus wants us to communicate the gospel to the world is by means of our unity, by means of the corporate confession that we share together. Jesus here is praying for us. He's interceding to the Father for us. Skip back to verse 15. I, I, I skipped over this verse. I wish I, should, I wish I wouldn't have. Look at verse 15. Look also at what Jesus is praying for the disciples. I do not ask that you take them, the disciples, out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus here is asking the Father to protect the disciples and us, by extension, from Satan. Verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. Jesus is asking for the disciples' growth. So I take, kind of taking a step back, the, the purpose in visiting this passage, I want you to see that Jesus has this priestly role of intercessor. Jesus is praying for us, for me and for you, for his disciples and us in John 17. He is praying for us right here in this passage. So Jesus has this role of intercessor even in his earthly ministry. That role started when he was on earth. Does it continue now that he is in heaven? There's a point in the salvation process that we must visit. As you know, Jesus is not with us here today. There is a significant salvation event that occurs between Jesus and John 17 and what we find in Hebrews. And that is Jesus' ascension. Jesus' ascension. Turn to Acts 1. Acts 1, verse 6. We'll start in verse 6. Tracing the development of Jesus' intercessor. From Melchizedek, high priest, suffering servant, John 17. One more step before we get to Hebrews. Acts 1, 6. So the disciples, after Jesus had risen from the dead, he spent some 40 days with the disciples. During this time, he taught them many things. Now, some things they still did not understand. In verse 6, the disciples asked Jesus this question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus says in verse 7, that's not for you to know. That's not for you to know. That's uh, above your pay grade. And then in verse 8, Jesus promises the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 
And this Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, will, will empower the disciples to go to all the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel. And then in Acts 9, we have this significant salvation event. If, if, if you have a little marker, a pen, you need to circle Acts 1-9. It's just one verse, but this verse has significant theological consequences for who Jesus is and what he does. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So just like that, Jesus is gone. Just like that, Jesus is gone until he returns again. What we refer to this as is Jesus' ascension. And with Jesus' role as priest, what we have here is a transition. In the Old Testament, we had this foretelling, this expectation of an eternal high priest who intercedes for his people. That is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 17, we see that fulfilled. But in Acts 1-9, the earthly priest who intercedes for his people transitions to become a heavenly priest. Now Jesus is not on earth praying for us. Where he is at, he is at the right hand of God the Father. And what is he doing though? Is Jesus continue his priestly ministry for the church? That's a question that we want to ask as we, as we read Acts 1-9 and think about the development of Jesus' intercessor. So does Jesus continue in this office of intercessor? And if he does, how does it change? How does it develop? How is Jesus now, as heavenly high priest who intercedes for his people, different than how he interceded for his people on earth? Very, very helpful questions that we want to ask. And, and these questions set up the context for Hebrews 7. So let's go ahead and jump there. Hebrews 7, verse 23. Now, dear friends, that's all appetizer. That's, that's, uh, that's the introduction. And I have three points for you this morning. We'll be in Hebrews 7, 23 through 25. Each point has to do with Jesus' role as intercessor. So the, for the first point, we're, we're going to answer the question of how. Based upon this passage, Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, how is it that Jesus is intercessor? What is it that makes that possible? How is it that he can intercede for us in the way that he does? I'll get this point from verses 23 and 24. Let's read together. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So the question we want to ask of these two passages is how is it that Jesus can be our eternal high priest. To answer that question, what the author of Hebrews does, the author makes a comparison between earthly priests and Jesus. Now these earthly priests, they're characterized by being many in number. There's many of them. There's no special one of them. There's been lots of them in Israel's history. 
And the reason why there have been so many is because, verse 23, they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They were just like us. They died. Very normal. Now, something's different about Jesus. Verse 24 highlights something different about Jesus. But he holds his priesthood forever. Excuse me. But he holds his priesthood permanently. So there's a difference between earthly priests and Jesus. Jesus can continue on and on and on. Why? What's the how? How is it that it's possible? Well, because he lives forever. This is a simple passage to interpret. This is Some passages are more difficult. Others aren't. This is not rocket science. What, what the author is saying is that Jesus continues in his, earth, his priesthood because he continues forever. And the comparison he makes is with earthly, earthly priests and with Jesus as the permanent priest. Now, touching this upon who Jesus is, well, I, I try to reiter, reiterate again and again. In order to better appreciate the gospel, in order to better understand the gospel... In order to love Jesus Christ more, we must understand who he is and what he has done. These two cannot be separated from each other. Anytime we grow in our understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is always related to who he is and what he has done. And this passage presents us with Jesus in light of who he is, the eternal priest, who never dies, who continues in his office permanently with what he does. He always intercedes for us. So once again, I, I will reiterate this a lot because I think it's a very important point to understand Scripture with. We have to understand the gospel in light of who Jesus is and what he has done. Never separate those two. Always keep those two points connected. And grow in your understanding of both of those. And here what we see is Jesus functions as the eternal priest. That's who he is, and therefore he is able to pray for us faithfully. So the how, answering this question once again, the how is it, how is it that Jesus can be our eternal priest? The end of verse 24, because he continues forever. Jesus has died, he has risen from the dead, and he has ascended. He will never again die. He lives forever. That's our first point. Second point. The purpose. What's the purpose of it all? Why, why does he do this for us? Why does Jesus spend his time thinking about us and praying for us? Why, why does Jesus so faithfully intercede for you? What's the purpose? Verse 25. Consequently, as a result of him continuing forever, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. The, the point here is simple. The point here is simple. The purpose of Jesus' intercession is to save you to the uttermost. The purpose of Jesus' intercession for you is to not bring about a partial salvation for you. 
the Bible never mentions a partial salvation. The purpose, the goal of Jesus' intercession for you, for us, is to save you to the uttermost. And I, and I try to hit on this doctrine often because I know a lot of you come from mainline denominations that do not teach eternal security. What the Bible teaches with reference to what Jesus gives us as Christians. The Bible teaches that Jesus saves us to the uttermost. The Bible does not teach that Jesus does his part and now it is up to you to do your part to save yourself. The Bible says over and over and over again that salvation is only by grace. Now that grace does manifest itself in our lives through changed behavior, yes. But our changed behavior is a result of grace, not the cause of it. The cause of change in our lives is Jesus. Jesus, that famous hymn, Jesus paid it. Dear friends, not some of it. Not some of it. So I was at Walmart recently, and I got a, I got a new jacket. And as I was checking out, I, I realized that this jacket was on clearance, like 50% off. You love that, don't you? Yeah. I don't know that we want to say amen to that, but... You know, we like that. Now, I still had to pay. I still had to do my part. Jesus is not like a spiritual coupon. Jesus is not like a clearance item. Jesus doesn't just pay for 80% of your salvation. We need to move away from that understanding of salvation. That is a false understanding of salvation. What is it that Jesus does for you? He saves you to the uttermost. Your translation might say, He is able to save completely. Your friends, it's not partial. Jesus' salvation for you is total. You don't need to add anything to it. You can't. It's complete. It's total. And it's based on Him. It's not based on you. It's based on His work for you. The purpose of His intercession is as it says in verse 25. To save you to the uttermost. To totally, completely, fully, holy complete in you the work of salvation. That's the purpose of intercession. Now for our, our last point, it, it, it's this, the what of Jesus' intercession. So the first was the how, second was the purpose, and now the what. Here we're going to get to the nitty-gritty of exactly what this is. Whenever we say that Jesus intercedes for us, what exactly do we mean? This is what we're going to investigate in this point. Look at the end of verse 25. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. So the key word here that we want to delve into is this word intercession. 
And this intercession, th th this word simply means that there are three parties. Two of the parties are opposed to one another. One party has a need, and the other party is able to meet that need. And to help solve this problem, to help the person who has a need, and to facilitate the person who's able to meet the need, there's an intermediary. And the intermediary presents to the person who can meet a need the needs of the other person. This can happen in business, this happens in politics, this happens in relationships. It's a basic concept that we see a lot. Now what we have here is Jesus is going to the Father and he's making a plea. He is making a request. And who is it he is making a request on behalf of? Look at the end of verse 25. It says them. Now who is the them? From the context, who is the them? The them are those, quote, who draw near to God through him. The them here, who Jesus is making intercession for, who is pleading to God the Father on their behalf, is those who draw near to God through Christ. In other words, Christians. Jesus is taking the Christians' needs and concerns to the Father. Now, besides that, we do not know exactly what Jesus is asking. The passage does not say. I sent the, the church an email on the prayer chain this week, and I asked for you to pray for me regarding wisdom about understanding the specific point. What, what, the, the best answer that I, I, I think I could give here regarding what exactly Jesus is asking and, and requesting, the best answer in Scripture, I think, is John 17. I think what we have in Hebrews 7.25, Jesus making intercession for us, what that looks like specifically, what Jesus is asking the Father for us, is made evident in John 17. I, 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 think, I think that's how we fill in the gaps. So that will, that will include things like petitioning the Father for us to not be led into temptation. Petitioning the Father for Him to complete His work in us. Petitioning the Father for our unity. Stuff like that. And I imagine there's, there's an infinite, a greater reality than just that, but we do the best we can. I think John 17 is the answer here. But there is more information that we can get about intercession from, from this passage. I want you to notice the sense. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Your, your translation might say because. What, what the author here is doing with this sense or with this because is he is drawing a, 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 a link, a logical relationship between being able to save us to the uttermost and Jesus' act of intercession. So somehow, some way, the fullness of salvation that we receive is related to Jesus' prayers for us. Now to fill in the gaps here, filling in the gaps theologically, this is the, the, the proposal that I think matches with Scripture. Scripture presents the Christian's salvation as an experience of past, present, and future. The past is referred to, oftentimes in Scripture, as justification. 
That happens one time. But salvation is also a process. We are all pilgrims. We've started this journey, but we're not to the celestial city yet. We're still traveling. And salvation has to do with this journey. This journey is referred to in Scripture as sanctification. So justification refers to that initial point of salvation. Sanctification refers to the process. If you are, if you are a Christian, you are in the process of being sanctified. I believe that there is a link between our sanctification and Jesus' intercession. I take Jesus' atonement and his resurrection as dealing with and applying to our justification. But our sanctification, those who draw near, this is something that we do consistently, has to do with the ongoingness of Jesus' intercession for us. So if we, were to, if we were to look inside the life of a believer and we would be able to have a, have a spiritual x-ray, what we would see is sanctification, a growth in godliness. And we ask the question, why is it that this Christian is being sanctified? And let's say we were to go to heaven and have a, a spiritual microscope. What we would zoom in on is Jesus' intercession. Our growth in godliness, your growth, your ability, and your desire to have victory over sin, to be bold in evangelism, to pray, all of that is bound up in Jesus' intercession for you. Jesus consistently and constantly intercedes for the saints. Therefore, the Christian life is one of sanctification. Justification deals with a different aspect. It is by means of intercession, by means of Jesus' prayers for us to be changed, that we are changed. So, th so that's what I take, take to be the, the, the doctrine that's being taught here. And one last little observation about this passage. I want you to see here the purpose of Jesus' heavenly existence. As it says in this passage, He always lives to. The to here is a purpose statement. What does He always live to do? Make intercession. Jesus' M.O. in heaven, His purpose is totally to serve you. Jesus' purpose is to take upon Himself your burdens, your mistakes, your sins, your faults, your frustrations, your burdens, your sorrows, your joys. That's what Jesus lives to do. He always lives to do this. He came not to be served in his earthly ministry, but to serve. And even now in his priestly ministry, that is what he does. He does not function as high priest to be served. He functions to serve you. That is what Jesus lives to do. Jesus never grows tired of carrying your burdens. Jesus never says, you know what, 
I've kind of heard enough from you today. You kind of need to come back later. He never does that. We do, though, don't we? So my wife, there, there, are, there are days when I want to honor her with a specific day. Let, let's say her birthday. And I will say to her, sweetie, this day is all about you. I'll watch the kids. I'll try to keep the house clean. This day is all about you. I, I just want to shoulder your burdens for the day and just give you a day where you're free. Okay, so just one day. So in the morning, I have a lot of gusto. You know, I'm drinking my coffee. Excited, enthusiastic. Yeah, babe, you know, you just... You just take some time to just relax, you know. But as the day goes on, you know, this kind of little little irritations bubble up. I tend to be better in the morning than I am in the evening. And so by the end of the day, I, I mean, I'm just, I'm just dragging, you know. I'm just dragging. And it was just, it was just like 12 hours. But, but that's how we are, right? I, I'm not just like that. You're like that too. If you give someone a day, just to, just to, it's all about them, right? The whole day is just, your purpose for that day is to just live and support and lift up that person's burdens and to take as much from that person as you can so that they are benefited. Just one day. Oh, it's a struggle. And, and we fail. We absolutely fail. Jesus is considerably different. Jesus is not like us. We have limits. We have limits to carrying other people's burdens. We might say, okay, you know, I, I need some space. I, I need you to kind of back off a little bit. I kind of need to refresh and have some me time. Jesus never says that. Jesus never tires of hearing from you. Jesus never tires of carrying your burdens. That's what he's all about. What brings him most joy is to be burdened by you. That's his M.O. He always lives to do that. Wow. So that's the what. What, is, what exactly is intercession? It is Jesus' pleas to God the Father on our behalf. The specifics of it, we're not exactly sure. John 17 helps us understand. But his intercession is related to our sanctification. We are sanctified because Jesus continually prays for us. Therefore, we have this fullness of salvation. He is at work in us. Our sanctification is not the cause of Jesus' intercession. Sanctification is the result of Jesus' intercession. The how... The purpose and the what. Now in these final moments with you, just some real specific application. We've largely dealt with biblical theological themes which are important and we need to understand and appreciate to grow in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me make some specific points from this. The first one is this. This is an evangelistic point. Jesus' intercession from this passage Jesus' intercession from this passage and also John 17 
is exclusive to Christians. Stated another way, Jesus does not intercede for, for non-Christians. I, I want you, once again, to see this from the passage. I want you to see this from the passage. Consequently, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost. Who does he save to the uttermost? Those who draw near to God. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Who's the them? Those who draw near to God. Jesus' intercession in Hebrews 7 is not for the non-Christian. The benefits of Jesus Christ, the blessings that we receive from him, are contingent upon your relationship with him. If you do not know Jesus as Lord, you do not have his benefits as priest. His benefits as priest are exclusive to his people. His ministry of intercession is exclusive to Christians. So if you are a non-Christian, you do not have these blessings and benefits. If you are not a Christian, you do not have someone who stays closer than a friend in Christ. You do not have that. You do not have these privileges. And the exhortation would be for you to receive them, right? For you to come to Jesus, for you to lay down your pride, for you to lay down your sins, and for you to be the recipient of this. I do not believe that Jesus intercedes for non-Christians, but that doesn't mean it always has to be that way. You can become a Christian and have this intercession. There are tremendous benefits and blessings to being a Christian. Yes, it is difficult, but the blessings and benefits far outweigh the cost. Come to Jesus. Receive him as intercessor. Receive him as Lord and priest. Be a recipient of these blessings. The second point, for the Christian, Jesus will not forsake you in his prayers for you. If you have drawn near to God through Christ... Jesus will never forsake you or leave you in his prayers for you. Over and over again, the Bible teaches that God will never forsake his people. Ever. God will never forsake his people. His loving kindness extends to the heavens. God will always be faithful to his people. The way Jesus demonstrates that faithfulness to us is by means of praying for us. If you are a Christian, there is no sin that can separate you from Jesus' prayers and cares. Jesus is always concerned for you. Jesus is always praying for you. If you are a Christian, Jesus will never forsake praying for you. We do. We forget to pray. We, we, we struggle with prayerlessness. Whenever the needs of others come up, we often are cold to those needs. Jesus is not like that. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. Specifically, he will never stop praying for you. Your sins and your failures do not hinder Jesus' prayers for you. You are not saved on the basis of your good works. You are not saved on the basis of how you live. And Jesus' intercession for you is not based on you. It is based upon Jesus' faithfulness. Jesus is ever faithful. Jesus is the most sympathetic, the most understanding, the most empathetic, the most loving person ever. He will never leave you, 
even in your sins, dear Christian, even when you commit that same sin over and over and over again, and you question, will God ever forgive me? Jesus is praying for you right there. Jesus is always on your side. He is always pleading your case. He always has your back. He is the faithful friend that we all need. Third point of application. Salvation is by grace alone. We are going to fail in our prayer lives. We are going to fail in the Christian life, and we are going to fail in our prayer lives. Even the most faithful prayer warrior is going to grow cold in their prayers. We are going to fail at this. We are going to struggle. We're going to fall. We're going to sin. We're going to do what we ought not to do and not do what we should. Jesus is still praying for us. We are not saved on the basis of a perfect prayer life. We don't have that. We are saved. We are being sanctified on the basis of grace alone. Over and over and over again, the Bible teaches the idea that salvation is a pure gift. Yes, that gift makes, its ma- ma- makes itself manifest in your life through a change of behavior, yes. But it is not your prayers that save you. It is Jesus' prayers. It is Him. Salvation, prayer, is by grace alone. Last point. It is this. Faithfully intercede for others as Jesus faithfully intercedes for you. Faithfully intercede for others as Jesus faithfully intercedes for you. The Bible states over and over again that we should act towards others the way that Jesus has acted towards us. Forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Love one another as Christ has loved you. Serve one another as Christ has served you. And I'm making this point. Pray for others as Jesus prays for you. And a specific encouragement to to the mothers of, of wayward children. If you're a mother and if you have a prodigal child, I want to remind you of Jesus' prayers for you. You become wayward at times. And Jesus is always there. He's always there to bring you back to himself. He's always praying for you. And my encouragement to, to to the mother who has a wayward child, is to be, to be to that child as Jesus is to you. We can grow discouraged in our prayer life. Look at the compassion of Christ for you. Gaze in his eyes. See his heart for you. And model that same love to your wayward children. Your kids need that. And in your discouragement... And when you become disheartened because you don't see your prayers making an impact, remember that right there, Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for your encouragement. He's praying. He's taking your burdens. He's taking the burdens to the Father. And so as you experience and know and treasure this love that Christ has for you, share that same love. Share that same faithfulness in prayer. Make it your life's purpose, moms. To show your children 
in prayer the same, lo the same love that Christ has shown you through prayer. Make that your life's purpose, to always live to make intercession for your kids. We serve a tremendous Savior, amen? Well, next week, just to give a little bit of preview, next week we will jump in and study the Spirit's intercession for us. And a passage to study, study all of Romans 8, but specifically, study Romans 8, 26 through 27. That's going to be the passage that we jump into next week. May God bless you in your study, and, I, and I, I'll try to do this regularly, to give you a passage to study to prepare your hearts for the next week. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for appointing him as our high priest. We thank you for his faithfulness, his continued kindness, and resolution to pray for us even when we are in sin. Father, I pray that, that that type of compassion that Jesus has on us would transform us to, to have com tremendous compassion on others. We pray for the same type of faithfulness and prayer that Jesus has towards us for, for other people. We pray that we would faithfully intercede for the needs of others. And Father, we, we just thank you for Christ. We thank you he, that he is the friend who sticks, who sticks with us through thick and thin. He is not a fair-weather high priest. He was praying for us in John 17, and he's praying for us now. Father, thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he is, the, he is exactly what we need. I pray for our encouragement, our hope, our peace, and a transformed prayer life. I pray all these things by the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ.